Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. We've been in a series um, called True Identity. We've been spending the summer going through the book of Ephesians. We're flying through it. We're all the way to chapter 2. All the way to chapter 2. We're in July. So we got some, we got some catching up to do here a little bit. But we've, we've been taking some time to really delve into what the, the, the thought behind Ephesians is. And we early on gave you guys some perspective on the people that were being talked to, who Paul was talking to, this church in Ephesus, and kind of what was going on culturally around them. If you don't, if that's maybe something new to you, I'd encourage you to go back to week one and two of this series, and it would give you a little background historically on this uh, kind of amazing time and people. Uh, but we've been spending time really allowing the Holy Spirit to do some work in our hearts around this place of identity. And the more and more I journey in life, the more and more I talk with people about their journey in life, the more I understand that identity, who we see ourselves as, and who, who we are in this journey of life, has an enormous impact on how we live our lives. And so understanding identity is not like this peripheral thing for the psychologist in the room. This is really a thing for each one of us as followers of Christ to invite the Lord to come in and to give us some revelation on. And that's really what the book of Ephesians is about, is inviting us to this place of understanding uh, this true identity that we have in Christ. And we saw the video at the beginning. We, we play that every week of just a reminder that I am victorious. I am saved. I am gifted. Why? Because those are all the things that Scripture tells us that we are, and they're the things that we find as we journey through this amazing book of Ephesians. And so today, with the time that we have left, I want to take us into and, and take a, a deeper look at some of this space in Ephesians. As I've been preparing for this, I've, I've spent some time reading some books and just allowing the Lord to do some work inside of me. How many of you know the work of identity is a continuing work in our life? It's not something that you're just also going to wake up one morning and be like, oh, I know who I am, I'm good. I mean, you know, there's constant warfare around that in our life. We have a world system that is trying to tell you who you are. You with me? We have commercials. We have social media. We have every other vocational space. We have college campuses and high school campuses and, and getting down into our elementary space. The, everything's trying to tell us who we are. But how many of you know there's only one space that you can find your identity, and that's from the Creator who made you? And we know that here, but oftentimes we don't live it out in our lives because we're not allowing ourselves to believe the truth of what he says about us. And so this whole summer, we're spending some time letting the word of God saturate our hearts and remind us of who God says that we are so we can live out of that identity. I don't know about you, but I've tried living out of the identity of the world and athletics and all of these things. And can I just tell you, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's pointless. You get to the end of those, those pathways and all that you find is emptiness in those spaces. Why? Because we weren't created for those things. We were created by God on purpose, for a purpose that he's called each one of us to. Loving him and knowing him and proclaiming him in the world that we live in today. But we live in a time and a day and age that there's constant warfare around that. And I've been reading a book um, actually for the second time that was recommended to me by a, a friend and the, the book, I'm going to have him throw it up on the screen here. It's called Fearless Living. Do we have that image? There it is. This book, I would highly recommend this to you. 
Um, if you want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into true identity. Now, uh, as you read through this, you're going to think, Tim lost his mind. Because um, the, the premise of the book is you kind of look at it. Uh, Jamie Winship's the guy who wrote it. I could give you a background on it, but we just don't have time this morning. Um, long and short of it, this book is a book and an exploration on how do we hear from God and respond to him in our lives. And it's based on this, this one true factor that it's got to come out of our identity in Christ. And, and so I want to encourage you, as you're exploring this summer, maybe reading through the book of Ephesians, here's a great book for you to explore, maybe spend a little bit of time in. I'll just give you a little teaser. This guy was a, a detective that was solving cases that nobody else could solve. And they came to him over uh, some time frame, the FBI, the CIA, and a few other alphabetic government agencies, and said, how are you doing this? How are you getting this done? He said, do you really want to know? They're like, Yeah. He said, I just pray and ask God. And he gives me insight into what's going. And this, this man, God has used him extraordinarily all over the world, Middle East, here in the United States, other countries around the world, to help process through really difficult and challenging situations. And all he does is just go before God and say, God, what, what do I need to know? And then what do you want me to do? I mean, I think that's a pretty good way to live life. God, what do I need to know and what do you want me to do? And he says it's all rooted in identity. And I, I just I want to uh, just emphasize, I, I 100% agree that. If we're wrestling with our identity, then we're going to wrestle in hearing from God. And if we're wrestling in hearing from God, how many of you know we're going to struggle in, I, in our purpose and direction in life? So God wants to bring us into a place of true identity so that we can hear and understand his voice, respond to what he has for us in life, and ultimately go make a difference in the world that we live in. Amen? And that's really what the book of Ephesians is all about. It's helping us to identify who we are in Christ. And we, we said that that word, that little phrase, in Christ, is used somewhere around 30-some times in the book of Ephesians. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Everybody's looking to be their own man or their own woman and, and just have, have clarity on who I am. And can I just help you understand this? You will find who you are, who God created you to be, in Christ. In Christ. Because ultimately, He has made the way for us through the work that he did on the cross. Amen? So I want you to open up your Bibles, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 1. It's a good place to start. Um, and we're going to read 1 through 18, but we're going to read just a few scriptures as we go through this. And I, we're just going to exegetically unpack scripture this morning. Simply what that means is we're going to read it, and we're going to talk about the text and what it means for us. Okay? So let me open this up here. It says, Ephesians chapter uh, 2 verse 1 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your sin. Now, here's, here's what I want to help us have clarity on that statement this morning. That you're not a Christian. You're not a churchgoer. You're not a nice person, good person. Here's what you are. You were dead. I don't know if everybody's, anybody's ever told you that before, but you were dead. Like legit dead. Like the worst kind of dead. You may be breathing air, but you had no hope for eternity in front of you. And this is what Paul is emphasizing in this moment. You were once dead. He's helping them with this identity piece in their life. You know, former me, prior to pastoring full-time, I was a paramedic here in Ada County. I got to work for Ada County Paramedics and then flew with a number of services around here. And, and here's, here's the interesting thing about being dead. 
when you're dead, you're dead. Right? There's not a whole lot you can do for yourself in that moment. In fact, there's nothing that you can do for yourself in that moment. This is the point that Paul was setting as the preface to this next space that he's going to unpack for us is that you were dead. You were dead. Now, a lot of us who've been following Jesus for some time in our life, we don't remember that space of our life very well. So I'm saying this over and over and over again this morning because I need your hearts to come alive with the reality that you were dead. Without Christ, you and me have nothing. This is what Paul was trying to bring to the heart of a people who were very religious, who were able to to talk the talk, but they were dead on the inside. They were missing some of this intimacy with God. And Paul was saying, hey, listen, before we get too deep into this, you have to understand, or I need to remind you that you were once dead because of your many sins. Not just a few, because of your many. One of the wildest things about being a paramedic was coming onto those scenes, those moments where it was a code, somebody had died. That's the kind of terminology around that. And as the team jumps into action to try and rescue, to help, to save that person in that moment, there's extraordinary things that are taking place in that moment to try and save that life. Paul goes on to say, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Listen to that. Verse 3, all of us used to live that way, following the passions and desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. And everybody always asks the question, well, why were we subject to, to God's anger. Why is that a thing? Why, why would God be angry at people? Why, would, why is that a thing? Why were we at enmity with God? And the simple answer is, is because of sin. Because of sin. Let me give you the root of what sin is. Sin is simply disobedience to God in His way. And because God, listen to me, I'm going to help you understand Him a little bit, because He is a just God, just in every way, every facet of who He is. Because He is a just God, then God hates sin, has to. And because of that, because we are the perpetrators of sin, therefore our lives prior to Christ intervening for us, our lives prior to the time that we we received the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we were enemies of God because of the sin and disobedience in our lives. Are we all here this morning? That's where we were. And this is what Paul was reminding this church of, hey, you've got to understand this in your heart because if not, it's going to get you off track. He's trying to help them understand their identity that they have been saved by God's incredible grace, His incredible mercy. This is probably, verse 4 is probably my favorite verse in all of this because it begins with these words, but God. <laughs> Come on, church. But God. Here's the reality. Verses 1 through 3, we made a mess. We got ourselves into all kinds of trouble. 
We created separation between us and God because of our sinful choices and desires. And I just want you to know every one of us are in that boat. There's not a person in the room watching online or in our world today who has not sinned. And that sin created separation with God. But verse 4 is the most redeeming space and the most redeeming words you will ever hear in your life. But God. But God. I love how our sin is not the end of the story, but it leads us into the beginning of God's story in our life. I love how God didn't leave us stuck in our sin and, and, and a justified judgment that he must put upon sin, but it leads us into this beautiful place of this life-saving work that God did for you and I. Are you guys with me this morning? Come on, I need you to understand this today. You were dead. You were dead. And God's incredible grace came rushing to you because He initiated the work. But God. Here's what it says. But God in so rich in mercy is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much. I love those descriptors in there. That even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Some translations use that word in Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of His incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us as shown in all He has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Holy smokes. Did you guys catch all of that? While we were still wandering around in our sin, being foolish, crazy, stupid, selfish, all of those things, God lavished this incredible act of mercy and grace towards you and I, and Jesus went to the cross so that we could have hope. God didn't just pour out a little bit of love. It says His rich love that He poured out. He lavished it upon us. He made this bold declaration from the heavens that He wasn't going to let sin and judgment separate us in relationship with Him. Can you say amen to that? Come on. This is going to be the best 4th of July ever. You think freedom in America is good? Hey, we are free from sin. That had a much larger impact on our life and your life and my life. And because of God's incredible mercy, because of His incredible love, we are now, listen, this is your new rightful place. If you've invited Jesus into your life, if you've put your faith and trust in Him, listen to me this morning, you are now seated with Him in heavenly places. What does that mean, Tim? That means the authority that God gave to Jesus to have dominion over principalities and powers and all the rulers of this age, Jesus said, hey, come sit right next to me and enjoy that same authority. What? I thought I was just saved from my sin. You are. But because you're saved from your sin, you are now also seated with Christ in Christ in heavenly realms. That means you have more authority and power than you ever thought you did. That means the words that you speak and the things that you do have way more impact than you can ever imagine. Church, come on. 
You've got to understand that when, when God says that he seated you with Christ in heavenly places, that was a place that you could never attain on your own, but because of the grace of God, the work of God in your life, you now get to sit next to Christ in that place of authority and power and dominion. Come on, that's the best news ever. That's the best news ever in our lives. That means anything that comes against you in your life, you have the ability to pause for a moment and say, no, 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 you don't have victory over me. I have victory over you. Why? Not because of any, I'm not a good person, but because Jesus came and lived a perfect life and gave you and I the hope of eternity and the victory in this life right now. You guys should be getting way more excited about this. Verse 8 says this, God saved you by His grace when you believed. Everybody say, I am saved. saved. Now say it like you mean it, I am saved. saved. You've been saved. No different than when an ambulance shows up on scene and a person is dead on the ground and they begin to do CPR and defibrillate them and push some drugs into their veins and help them come alive. No different. You were that kind of dead. And somebody showed up to save you. His name was Jesus. Somebody came to intervene on your behalf when you could do nothing for yourself. And his name was Jesus. Come on. This is the beauty of this. Verse 9, salvation is not a reward for good things that you have done, so none of us can boast about it. Everybody say amen. You're nice people. I like hanging out with you. But you're not good enough to earn this. Neither am I. Never have been, never will be. It is a complete act of the mercy and grace of God being extended in your life. You don't get to brag on it. I don't get to brag on it. The person that's dead on the ground that the ambulance shows up, if they get revived, they don't get to stand up and say, look what I did. They had nothing to do with it trying to paint a picture for you this morning. This incredible gift of the mercy and grace of God has nothing to do with anything from us. The only thing we brought to the table was death. And we've been saved. Paul's trying to sow this into the heart of the church of Ephesus because they were going through the motions of the church stuff, but they weren't living in the revelation that they've been saved and redeemed. River Valley, Church of America, I think we wrestle with the same thing. We go through our day-to-day lives and we don't recognize that we were dead and now we're alive. That the mercy of God met us in our lives and that we are now partakers in something that is so beautiful and so wonderful and so much more powerful than we could ever imagine and we just do our day-to-day lives. Why? Because we're not living out of our true identity. What's our true identity? You've been saved. From death to life. Legitimately from death to life. The mercy of God found you. And then I love what this says. Verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. (laughs) He has created us anew in Christ. So we can do the good things that he planned for us long, long ago. In all my years of being a paramedic, the opportunities that we had to walk with people in those moments, 
I never once had one of those people participate in that one. They were simply recipients of somebody else's grace, somebody else's giftings, somebody else's abilities. We all, as we sit here this morning, are the recipients of God's extraordinary work in our life. You're like, Tim, you've already said that. Yep, I'm going to say it a few more times. Because oftentimes in this journey, we get mixed up on what's going on in life. We get mixed up on what's happened. And I need to bring us back to this simple place of that we were dead and we're now alive. Paul repeats this three times throughout this passage because he was preaching to the same kind of people that I get to preach to today. Real human people who get distracted by all kinds of stuff. In fact, some of you are probably thinking about lunch right now. Some of us are wondering when he's going to move on to the next point. This is the point. You've been saved from death. The mercy of God found you and I. Why is that so significant? Because without it, we have nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. You could find all the success you want in this world. You could... You could make millions and billions. You could do all kinds of things in this life, but at the end of the journey, if you have not been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, if you have not been born again, all of that counts for nothing. This was Paul's heart. He's like saying, listen, church, you've got to understand that your identity solely and completely comes from the work of Jesus on the cross. That's why we get to sit here today with a smile on our face and some joy in our heart is because, listen to me, you no longer have to pay the price for your sin. Jesus already did it. You no longer have to figure out how to, how to bring that account up to even. Jesus already did it. And oftentimes as we process through these moments and seasons of life, we we, we tend to get distracted by all the things that are going on around us in life, and we forget who we are. We forget what we've been bought with. We forget that that price that was paid was a significant one for our lives. And I'm so grateful, so grateful, that Jesus was willing to come and save us from ourselves. Amen? I know I keep going back to these paramedic moments, but it's, it's just so relevant for what we're talking through today. Here's, here's the reality. You don't do CPR on live people. CPR is only for someone who's dead. And as we think about our lives and we think about Jesus intervening in our life, the sacrifice that Jesus paid was not some frivolous one. Jesus was paying for your sin and for mine, because we couldn't pay that debt. We couldn't do it on our own. As paramedics, when you arrive on scene, that person that is dead on the ground or in their home or wherever you find them at, there's not something that they're going to do for you to help out that moment. We have a, a family that's with us today, and um, one of their family members, how long ago was it, two weeks? Three weeks? Three weeks ago, they were down here in Boise and was doing some shopping, and um, the husband went down. Ada County paramedic shows up on scene, 
forms, CPR, life-saving measures for him, gets him to the hospital. They get, um, in, in the medical world, they call it a return of spontaneous pulses that come back. Hearts start beating again. All of this gets put in the ICU. They, they typically put patients like that into this therapeutic coma-type state and typically cool their bodies down to reduce the impact of all the stuff that happens when you're dead. I mean, dead's bad, right? And in that moment, they begin to have people start praying for them. They were asking people from, uh, they're, they're from Mountain Life Church, Pastor Joe's church up in McCall. Joe texted me. We had some folks praying for them. And God, over a series of miraculous moments, restored this man's life, and he's in rehab today. I think God deserves a little bit more praise than that. But how many of you know when, when people have these types of moments that take place in life, and you could go out and read them. I read a bunch of articles around this. People who've had near-death or death experiences in their life. How many of you know when they come back from that moment, they have a little different perspective on life? They oftentimes, you, you hear, hear people talk about those near-death experiences or experiences where they died, they were dead. Um, he, the, 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 you were sharing with him about 45 minutes, right, that he was down? About 45 minutes. That, very few people recover from that. I can't tell you how many codes I've been a part of, but anyone that's down that long usually doesn't come back well. But God's grace and mercy stepped in that moment. Here, here's the deal. When you talk to folks who have processed through that, who, who are on the other side of that, they have a very different perspective on life. All of a sudden, the things that they once thought were really important, not super important anymore. All the stuff that, we want to obtain and do and all of that in life, all of a sudden those things just don't hold quite the same. You have a new impression, new importance of the things in life that you're actually going to spend time doing and the value of relationship and people and all of those things. Your perspective begins to change. Can I just say the same thing happens to those of us who have found new life in Christ. We've been saved from something that when we look at back on it, wasn't awesome. But this new perspective, this new life that we're now living in, we now have a new perspective on what this life means. And it's so funny, it blows my mind. We always tell people after they get saved, so somebody, somebody is born again, what does that mean? They just simply have asked Jesus to come and forgive them of their sins and lead them in their life. All, people come into that space, and you know what the funny thing about most of those people are? How excited are they? Like uber excited, right? Like here's the reality of it. For those of us that have been in church for a long time, we actually get annoyed by it, and I'm embarrassed to say that, but we do. It's like, man, you need to calm down a little bit. Like you're really excited about this Jesus thing. Like, and they're telling all of their friends about him, and, and like, it's, it's this moment, like, they're living in this reality, man, you don't know who I was just a few weeks ago. No difference in, than a person that's dead on the ground, and the paramedics come and bring them back to life, and they go into the hospital and rehab, and all of a sudden they come out of that, and they're like, man, I'm going to go live some life. Why? Because they've been saved. They were dead, and now they're alive. Christians in the room, I think there's some motivation that we need to draw upon new believers and, 
And I think a lot of the reason why many of us wrestle with that in our life is because we haven't been around a new believer in a long time. The main reason we haven't been around a new believer in a long time is because we haven't told anybody about what Jesus has done in our lives recently. And I think something might need to stir inside of us and be reminded of the fact that we've been saved from death to life. The reason why new believers are so, like, out there is because they are so close to the reality of what they used to be. And they are so grateful to be alive. They're so grateful to be forgiven of their sin. They don't have to carry that weight on them anymore. So they're telling everybody about it. I guarantee you, if we were to go to the hospital and listen to this man's testimony, the nurses and doctors and people around him have probably heard about Jesus from him. Why? Because he was dead and now he's alive. Can you imagine? I just want us to revive our hearts for it. This is what Paul was trying to get into the heart of the church here in Ephesians 2. I need you to understand you were dead and now you're alive. And some people need to hear that story. Where's the excitement in our lives about this Jesus, this Savior, this Rescuer that came and brought us from death to life? Where's that kind of excitement in us, church? I know a lot of you are looking at me now like, can we preach a different sermon? Not today. Not today. Jesus has done so much for us, church. And most of us are walking around as if we have something to be ashamed of. I've never met one person who came back from a code that was ashamed that they were dead. Not one. They were so grateful to be alive. Church, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and remind us of how good it is to be alive in Christ. That Tim Fortin doesn't have to pay for all the dumb things that he's done in life. Jesus already did that for me. And then my neighbors and the people that are around me that don't know Christ, they need to be hearing about this incredible work of God's mercy and grace that he's extended through my life. Church, there's some people that need to know about him from your life and from mine. Paul was addressing this in the heart of the Ephesus church because they didn't see their sin as a death sentence. They saw it as a way of life. They were just doing life. And what they saw going on in the church was this Christianity thing as a way to modify their dead life into something that was a little bit better. Does that sound familiar? Our culture talks about this. Just be the best version of you. Are you guys with me? I mean, like every self-help book that's out there right now is challenging or encouraging you that the whole goal of your life is to just be the best version of you. That's not what Jesus invited us to. He invited you and me to be born again, to let the old man die, and to live in this new life in Christ. Why? Because it's more better. Way more better. Like in every way, shape, and form, better. And it's entirely different. Come on, church. Paul was drawing the church's heart in this place and understanding. I'm trying to bring you there with him this morning that our lives that we once had, we were dead in that space. And God's mercy and grace has ran to us and allowed us now to be those who have been saved. 
Verse 16, I want to close out with this this morning. We'll, we'll get you out of here. Verse 16 says this, Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility towards each other was put to death. What's Paul addressing here? Jews and Gentiles arguing. Baptists and Pentecostals. Come on now. Presbyterians and Methodists. What are we doing? We're arguing about what? About the things that we can't agree on. We think the Bible says this, you think the Bible says that. We're going to argue about it until Jesus comes back. Good idea. That's what we should be spending our time doing. Meanwhile, I need you to hear this. Meanwhile, there's people all around us that are dead on the ground and need some help. And we're arguing about our theological beliefs. And Paul's saying, come on, guys. What are we doing? Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to each other. Jews and Gentiles. Baptists and Pentecostals. Whatever particular political persuasion you are and the opposite of that. Paul's saying, listen, that cannot be the priority. The priority has to be that we've been reconciled through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to each other and to the world that's around us. And we need to put our attention to that work, that new life, that born-again state that we are, and not our own political persuasions, not our own um, theological persuasions. I'm not saying abandon the Word of God. I'm saying, listen, we are majoring in things that the Bible minors in, and we are minoring in the things that the Bible majors in. Church, we've got to open up our eyes. We've got to recognize we were once dead, now we're alive. Somebody needs to hear that story around my life. This is what Paul's calling us to your identity is not in the fact that you go to River Valley Church or wherever you go. Your identity is, listen to me, not the fact that you're an American. Your identity is the fact that you were once dead and now you're alive. You've been adopted into the family of God. God's grace and love is so real and so tangible in your life that he extracted you out of that old life and he's given you a new one. Thank you, God. You with me this morning? That's identity. That's identity. And so much of us in the church, we're spending so much time focusing on the things that really don't matter and the Holy Spirit's trying to invite us into, hey, would you just like live out of your true identity that you were once dead and now you're alive? Would you let your heart come alive in that space? I love verse 17. We'll finish out with 17 and 8. He brought this good news of peace to the Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Notice that he brought peace to who? Both of them. The ones that were far away and the ones that were close. Why? Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Can I help you this morning? Even as the church, the body of Christ, those that have, have entrusted our lives to Jesus, even those of us who have been in church for some time, we don't get to take credit for this. Because it's through the Holy Spirit that we have unity together with one another, and Christ did that for us. So not only reconciling us in our sin, but reconciling us in relationship to one another is a complete and initiated work by Him. 
What do we get to do? We get to come and participate. We get to be those that say, thank you, God. Thank you. Lord, who would you like me to tell today about your goodness in my life? What does that look like? Well, here's what the reconciliation looks like. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Let me help you with that. You and I once owed an enormous debt, one that none of us could pay. And God in his incredible mercy, this is about the eighth time today, I'm just refreshing you. God in his incredible mercy reached out to you and I in our lives, in our dead state, paid our debt, and brought us into relationship with him. Nothing we did, nothing we will ever do, but receive that work in our lives. That's our identity, church. That's our identity. You're a friend of God, not because you initiated it, but because he did. You're washed clean from your sin, not because you initiated it, because Jesus went to the cross before we even knew who he was. We sit here today in the mercy and grace of God, and he initiated it. Your identity will never come because of what you do for God. Your identity comes because of who God says you are and what he already did for you and me. That's a beautiful place to live out of. I don't know about you, but even as I was speaking those words, man, I can just feel the weight lifting off of my life. I don't have to perform for God. You don't have to perform. We're invited into wonderful union with him. As we close this morning, I just want us to pause as the body of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning, you've never invited Christ into relationship with you and your life. And maybe you're still wading through the spaces of your sin. I just want you to know the easiest thing in the world you'll ever do is invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. Because here's the great exchange. He wants to take your sin and he wants to give you hope. That's a pretty good gig. If you're here this morning, maybe that's you. Maybe you've never begun a relationship with Christ. I just want to let you know here in a few minutes, we're going to hang out for a few and talk together in some groups. You're invited into that space, but there'll be people all around you who've made that decision to follow Christ. And I just want to invite you to end a, a conversation with that. But for those of us who have, who have made that decision, I feel like the Lord is stirring in our hearts a reawakening of the joy of our salvation the beauty and wonder of God's incredible mercy in our life that is so undeserved, but so beautiful. As we close this morning, I just want to pray over us that that will become such a tangible reality in our life, just like if you were to watch somebody who was dead come back to life. That that would be such a tangible space in our lives that you could not help but to share that kind of good news with the people that are around you in your life. I don't know about you, but I need more of that in me. Because this whole week as I was preparing for this, I'm just saying, God, I, I need more of this kind of heart in me. Lord, I, I, I need to be the kind of person I, I, that, that everywhere I go and everybody that I'm around, they just know, Jesus, how good you've been to me in my life. That I was dead and now I'm alive. Lord, let that be a part of my just rhythm and testimony. 
And that's what I'm praying over you today as well. That your identity, our identity as the body of Christ, will be solely anchored in this incredible work that God initiated in our lives and that we are simply responding to. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, we thank you, God, for the incredible power of your word. And Lord, I thank you that it's alive and active, Lord. So even as we read through your word today, Lord, really what was taking place is your word was reading us. And Lord, today we just recognize, God, that it is so easy for us, Lord, to live out of alternative identities. But Lord, today you've given us such clear identity in you that we were dead and now we're alive. Lord, that we were lost and now we're found. Lord, all of that was because of your incredible mercy and grace that you extended over our lives. Now, Lord, may we live as a people that have been reconciled both to you and to one another. Now, may we learn how to live out of this place of celebration, God, of the incredible things that you've done in our lives, the gifts that you've given us. And God, may we just be more attentive and aware this week, Lord, of those around us who are dead, that need to experience the life-giving work that comes from you. Lord, may our lives be a testimony. God, we are just so grateful. Jesus, thank you for the work that you did on the cross and for your resurrection that allows us to live with the incredible Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word this time together. God, would you lead us, God, in the week that's ahead of us and all that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.